Welcome to Holy Week. Um, today, uh, the meditation for the Station of the Cross was on the Crown of Thorns. And uh, I was very, very, very um, touched by what was shared. Uh, and I feel that you can never really fully uh, appreciate the resurrection of Christ unless you can appreciate the death of Christ on the cross, his crucifixion, because it's on that place where he carried upon himself all our sorrows, all our sins. Today I'd like to share with you um, something that took place during Holy Week, and it's uh, found in Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. I'll be reading from the NASB. Luke chapter 22, and we will read it from verse 39, verse 39. And he, Jesus, came out and proceeded, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples also followed him. And when he arrived at the place, he said to them, pray that you do not enter, or the word is succumb, into temptation. Yeah, pray that you will not enter or succumb into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him, and he, being in agony, was praying very fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. I cannot imagine what that looked like. And when he rose from the prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping from sorrow and said to them, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you may not enter into temptation. And while he was speaking, behold, a crowd came and the one called Judas, one of the twelve, was preceding them. And he approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what was going to happen, they saw what was going to happen, right? They didn't see what happened. They saw what was going to happen. They anticipated what was going to happen. They said, Lord, shall we strike with a sword? And one of them struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus answered and said, Stop, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come against him, Have you come out with swords and clubs as you would against a robber? While I was with you daily in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this hour and the power of darkness are yours. It's very interesting that Jesus said that, that somehow he had been delivered, he had, God had delivered unto them that hour of darkness. The hour of darkness was in their hands. And I'd like to talk about how sometimes these things happen. There is sometimes an hour of darkness. And as we come before this week, it tells us about this hour of darkness. It's an interesting uh, hour because it comes immediately after the triumphal, triumphal entry into the city. And it doesn't come when you expect. But such hours do come, this hour of darkness in which things have been delivered into the hands of the devil. But let's pray and we will begin. Lord, we ask you that you will come and speak to us, that in these days you will cause us to triumph. That just as you triumphantly entered into the city, this hour of darkness will result in triumph as well. We ask you that you speak to us in this critical moment that we live in, that you will cause us to find you and be found of you. Speak to us, Lord, we pray. We pray for every person who's here. We ask you that you would speak to each person so personally, so individually, and so uh, deeply that we will know that when we go from this place, we have been spoken to and been touched by you. Thank you, Lord, that you are wonderful and your wonderfulness clearly outshines the darkness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
I want to draw your attention especially to verse 40, and then verse, and later on, that same word, those same words are repeated in verse 46. He said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And later on, verse 46, pray that you may not enter into temptation. What, he, what Jesus was saying was, pray, not, well, he was not saying, pray so that temptation won't come. Because temptation did come. He was not saying, pray so that you will not be tempted. He was saying, pray that you will not succumb to temptation. What he was saying is that temptation has a way of succumbing you. It sucks you in. It draws you in. It pulls you. Yeah? It compels you. It drives you. It sucks you. And, and he's saying that if you pray, you will not be sucked into it. You will not be compelled by temptation. You will not enter into it. You will not be drowning in it. And that's how I take that phrase to, 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 to speak to us. That is, that not that we will not enter into temptation or that we will not uh, be tempted, but that if we pray, temptation will not overcome us. Because temptation does, and what, what Jesus meant by temptation was not just temptation by things that seem positive, but actually temptation in terms of trials as well. Yeah? Trials and suffering or darkness or uncertainty. Right? And so I believe that in this week, some of us are already experiencing a certain kind of temptation, a certain kind of uh, demoralization, a disappointment, a certain way in which we get easily sucked into despondency, sucked into the doldrums. Yeah? There is a way in which um, Holy Week can sometimes be characterized by a lot of attacks of the enemy and times in which we just don't know whether we are coming or going. And I feel that the Lord has a, has a word for us uh, regarding this. And it's very interesting that, uh, as I pointed out to you before we prayed, verse 53, it said, While I was with you daily in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this hour and the power of darkness are yours. There are such phenomena, phenomena in, in our Christian life in which we find that sometimes just seasons of darkness come. The days have been sort of, it feels like they've been delivered into the hands of the devil and the devil is just playing, playing all kinds of tricks upon us. There's, there's greater pressure, greater anxiety, greater fear. And it's almost as if the spirit in the air seems to be one in which we're just gripped by despondency. Yeah. Or, or gripped by anticipation of something bad happening. And there's a way in which the disciples were, were actually gripped by that. They were gripped by that. Somehow that thing took over them. And as it took over them, their kind of, their, their kind of um, perspective of what's gonna, what was going to happen was, was marked by this despondency, this darkness. And they saw that what was going to happen. Can you see this verse 49? They saw what was going to happen. In fact, their minds just anticipated things going wrong. They, could, they were responding to what their mind was actually projecting out into the future. They were not that wrong. And there's a way in which, there was in, in which time for them in their mind pulled them forward into something that seemed like a disaster. And they were living in that kind of that dynamic in which the mind could anticipate disasters to such an extent that it cast a pall over them. I feel that there's, there's something that God has for us in these days. And, um, and I'd just like to just share a little bit about this. Pray that you may not succumb into temptation. And the funny thing about the, what they were facing was that just days earlier, Jesus had fulfilled messianic prophecy by entering into the city humble on a donkey in which it fulfilled the, the prophecy of Zechariah that Messiah would come and he would come in exactly that way and would be received in that way. And what had happened was that the disciples and Jesus were on a high point and a high note. There was a, 
It was a, you were riding the crest of a wave of popular opinion. And as they entered into this, everything looked really good. Now there was grumbling within the city, and many scholars believe that actually the city was, was inhabited mainly by the priestly class, by the Sanhedrin, by the, the establishment. They were not happy. But the Amharets or the people of the land, yeah, were welcoming Jesus. So there's a it's like a popular, popular wave of um, of uh, opinion and desire that Jesus become king and become Messiah, throw off the Romans, throw off the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin were not happy about it. The, the ruling class were not happy about it. And many scholars believe that it was the ruling class that, that, that instigated um, the crucifixion of Jesus. I think that's quite true. I think that's, that's a very, very, a very, very plausible um, perspective. But it was in this place that after the triumphal entry, Immediately, everything turned. And it turned to such an extent that the darkness came upon the disciples, upon Jesus, to such an extent that you would never have guessed that days, just days before, things were so good, so up. And it was in this that they found themselves embroiled in this darkness uh, upon the Jesus movement that was taking place. And it's really interesting how bad things can be so easily followed by good things and then followed by bad things again. Isn't it? Don't you find that? In fact, to such an extent that for many people, we tend to characterize what we're going through in terms of bad season or good season, hard season or easy season. Blessing season or non-blessing season? Do you find that? And it's very easy for us to actually be trapped by a certain labeling that we do upon the seasons that we have based upon our circumstances. And sometimes because of that, we tend to, be, you know, tend to think, this is going to go bad now. It was good. And when the bad season comes, it is as if all the good is, is sort of, is, is all disappears. Have you found that? Hello? Sometimes you're in that season with people, right? One day they praise you and another, another day they condemn you. Jesus was experiencing that as well. We have these kind of seasons in which it feels bad. When it feels bad, everything looks bad. The lens is colored by badness, right? And you can see how the disciples, they could see what was going to happen, see? So their, 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 their anticipation of what was going to happen was based upon, this is going to be a really bad season. This is not going down well. This is going darkly. And they had forgotten about all, everything that happened when Jesus came in on the donkey and everybody was, 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 was uh, rooting for him. We had this kind of phenomena in our lives, don't we? It's a good season, bad season, good season, bad season. And so we tend to characterize bad seasons by how it feels, right? Doesn't feel good, doesn't feel good. And, in, and in immediately what we do is that we anticipate more badness coming. And so I, when, when, I, when I look at this, I begin to see that there is something about a darkness and a temptation that seems to be the spirit around, around how we feel during these seasons, these seasons that seem terrible in our lives. And they, become, they easily become seasons in which we feel that the good that has happened to us before has all swept away. It negates the good. The spirit of darkness is so strong upon the difficult seasons that it's able to completely wipe out any good, any good lessons or any good blessings or any good substance that has been accrued during the good season. We can be completely in different extremes when we say, God is good. God is terrible. God is going to do good things for me. God is going to allow terrible things to happen to me. We have that. It's something about our flesh that's that way. Our flesh is black and white. 
the flesh is, it characterizes things in kind of exaggerated terms. Yeah? Yeah. And when Jesus said pray, what he was saying is this, I want you to not succumb to the flesh. I don't want you to succumb to tiredness, to sleepiness in the, in the flesh, that spiritual sleepiness. I don't mean physical, but I think he means something that is more of a weariness, a certain kind of ex- emotional exhaustion that was happening, or more importantly, a spiritual oppression that was taking place upon the disciples. It sometimes happens during Holy Week. I don't mean to prophesy bad, bad things, but sometimes it happens. And I feel that because of a certain misunderstanding or a certain way in which we look at things, we can sometimes be set up for really bad things happening in our lives or bad reactions in our lives. So Jesus said, pray so that you will not enter into temptation. What he's saying is this, prayer can actually prevent you from being sucked into that kind of despondency. There's a certain kind of prayer. There's a certain kind of way in which you can prepare yourself for that. And what Jesus was saying is this, this is a critical time. Yeah, it's a critical time. I've experienced such times, haven't you? It's almost as if um, bad things come in, a, in, in, in threes or fours. They come like a train, right? I remember um, some, some years ago, Kaylin was our, a baby, I think, at the time. She had not learned how to walk. But I was call, called to speak at a, a conference uh, in Hawaii, um, and uh, we got ready to go. And what was going to happen was that after this conference in, in Hawaii, not long after that, we were due as a family to go to Malaysia to go and to speak as well, a ministry, another ministry thing. But going to Hawaii, I'd never been to Hawaii before. So we went. We knew we had to go because there was a certain urgency there was a, the, this, this uh, group that we were going to minister to had experienced quite a bit of uh, um, disappointment and years of frustration. And it, the, the ministers there were actually praying about quitting it completely. So we kind of knew that there was some, we're going into a not a very easy situation. And I remember that day, things were not not going happily. They were not going swimmingly. But we made it to the airport. And I remember I was having my bag on the, on the car, and we went and checked in, and we, you know, got checked in. And just before we got checked in, it was a long line, I had looked away at something, and when we came to the head of the queue or the line, my bag was gone. It had my passport, it had everything. It had money, it had ev- everything, my Bible, everything. That bag contained the most important things in my whole life. <laughs> and it was gone. And we looked around, we, 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 we reported it, and nothing could happen. And there we were, right in front of the, 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 baggage, the, sorry, the baggage claim and, 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 the, and the check-in. And we didn't know what to do. And... All um, our, my, my mind just started rushing here and there, all over. The pace in which your mind moves, thinking about what's going to happen in the future, what to do and all that, just becomes very, very, it just gets spun out, right? And we calmly talk to them and finally we decide, okay, we, we are going to still go, but we will go um, late that night and we'll end up, the next morning, which would mean that we would miss the first night of the, of the conference. The first session of the conference would be missed. And I could understand how they would feel because they were already going through a very, very difficult time. And to have the conference and the speaker not turn up on the first day, it is, it is kind of devastating, okay? Not only that, my passport was, was lost, which meant the next trip would also be in jeopardy. And I remember that at that time, when I think about the state of my mind, my mind was rushing to the future. What is going to happen? What's going to happen, right? Your mind is constantly thinking, okay, what are the things that could eventuate from this mishap that had taken place? Your mind is 
projecting out, shooting out to the future. All kinds of things. What is, what's going on there in Hawaii? What's going to happen in terms of my passport? What will it be found? And how will these people take it? How disappointed will it be? My mind had created scenarios about, alternative scenarios about what was going to happen. We finally waited, you know, sent message, you know, and uh, that night, late at night, we flew. Kaylin was just a baby, and, uh, and uh, we flew. And then when we flew, the plane got into a storm. I have never been in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a storm like that before or since. The plane was going up and down, up and down like a basketball. And I was truly concerned. No, actually brave people are concerned. Cowards are actually frightened. I was frightened. Our child was like, Quite calm, actually, as she, was, she was, as she was going through that. It was the parents that were worried. <laughs> and I could see in the faces of the, 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 the flight attendants how worried they were. How worried they were. It's almost as if darkness covers you. It's almost as if anything that can go wrong will go wrong. And I remember during that time, my mind, the state of mind was shooting back and forth, shooting back and forth. Okay, whatever the disappointment, there will be eclipsed by the fact that the plane is going to crash. <laughs> okay. All right, a worst has happened. It, it seemed as if what happens in Hawaii was, was not, even, not even an issue compared with what, was, what could happen in the next few minutes. <laughs> but I believe that that was where... The Lord had us. And it was during that time we engaged the spiritual powers that were wanting to cause things to go really badly. And instead of having my mind shoot out, I realized I need to not stay, not, not keep shooting out into the future. I need to come back to the present. And as we came back in the prayer, we just prayed in the Spirit. Just we prayed in the Spirit. And I remember holding Cindy's hand and uh, finding that luckily I did not break her hand. But as we prayed, we, we engaged the enemy and we felt the darkness, right? We felt the heaviness. We felt the, the spirits of fear and all that. We prayed and prayed and prayed. And as we prayed, we realized the Lord was engaging in a battle that was not just for the plane, but for the fellowship back there. We began to pray. It's almost as if we entered into the storm and the darkness that had been somehow released upon us was now engaging us. And as we prayed, I think we prayed for about an hour or so, or, or, or maybe even a bit more. And then we felt the calm. And as the calm had settled, the plane still had not stopped bouncing up and down. But soon after that, it stopped. We came out of that plane completely at rest. Passport still lost, but completely at, at rest. We went into that conference, and that was one of the best conferences that we have had. God moved so powerfully during that conference, during those well, it was just two days now because the first day had gone. And, uh, and not only that, the, day, the session that we missed, they had a great session without us. They were fine. <laughs> they were able to share and, and share their hearts out. And by the time we came for the next two days, God had moved. And at the end of it, there was such a, a lift that they didn't close the work. They didn't close the group down. And actually, they carried on and they have thrived since then. So we've been to Hawaii two other times since then to see how things have grown and, and, and done well. And uh, I've been to Hawaii three times in my life. I don't know what Hawaii, Hawaii looks like. All I know is that there is a, a, a building that we actually meet in. And then after that, there's an, also an airport. And that's, these are the two places we've been. I've heard that Hawaii is quite nice. Praise God, huh? 
there is a way in which the disciples, verse 49, when, they, when those who were around him saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And they saw what was going to happen. May I suggest to you that actually, the, when the darkness comes, what the devil does is that he pulls us back into the flesh. And our initial reaction is haste. It's haste. And now I'd like to turn with you to uh, another situation which, which also mirrors that. And you can find this in 1 Samuel chapter 13. Okay? In 1 Samuel chapter 13, if you can turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 13. And you see the same pattern in 1 Samuel chapter 13. In, in the beginning of chapter 13 of Samuel, um, Jonathan has won a tremendous battle at Gibeah. Verse 3 says, Jonathan smote the garrison of the Philistines that were in Geba, and the Philistines heard of it, and then, and then Saul blew the trumpet towards throughout all the land, saying, let the Hebrews hear. All Israel heard the news that Saul had smitten the garrison of the Philistines, and also that Israel had become odious to the Philistines, and the people were then summoned to Saul at Gilgal. Now, the Philistines assembled to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and people like the sand which is on the seashore in abundance. And they came and camped in Michmash, each of, each east of Bethaven. And when the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were hard-pressed, then the people hid themselves in caves, in thickets, in cliffs, in cellars, and in pits. Also, some of the Hebrews crossed the Jordan into the land of Gad and Gilead, so they went over to the other side, right? Gad and Gilead was actually the, the territory of the Philistines. So they were actually fading away and going over to the other side. But as for Saul, he was still in Gilgal and all the people followed him trembling. So you find that the morale is really low. And when he waited seven days according to the appointed time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal and the people were scattered from him. And disaster portended, right? So Saul said, bring to me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him and to greet him. But Samuel said to him, what have you done? And Saul said, because I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come without, within the appointed days, right? That means... Samuel did not show up, right? He did not show up within the appointed days. And that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash. So he's, he's watching how the situation is, 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 is coming together. Therefore, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not asked the favor of the Lord. So I forced them myself and offered the burnt offering. So Saul saw what was going on. It's almost as if, one good thing is preceded by a bad thing. And immediately when the bad thing happens, not only are circumstances bad, but our minds get clouded. Our, our minds have, begin to be enveloped. They succumb to temptation. The temptation of what our minds think was going to happen in the future. So Saul says, I saw all this was happening. I know what was going to happen out of this. Just like the disciples. Like, we know what was going to happen. And immediately his mind dwelt in the future. It dwelt in his prognostication or his prediction of what was going to happen. And immediately, instead of obeying God, because he's not supposed to touch the burnt offering, only Samuel is supposed to do that, he disobeyed. He disobeyed. And when he disobeyed, he, he forced himself to do the offering. And just when he disobeyed, guess what? Samuel came. Boy, does that happen to you before? Just at exactly the, precisely the wrong time he, he, he sinned against God. Precisely at the wrong time. Now, this is how good things get better. Okay? Our minds think when good things are preceded by bad things, all the good things are kind of cancelled and now it's bad season. And so we succumb to bad season and we sort of clench our teeth and we just get ready for a bad season, right? With no memory of the good. Now, sometimes what happens is that as Christians, we think good things just keep building smoothly. 
we think that build good things, we are in a good season, and because we are in a good season, they'll just smoothly get better. That spiritual growth is a smooth thing. Yeah? If I just have set up all the, all the mentoring and the discipling and all the proper people that I sur- surround me with, everything will go on well. If I am all set up f- 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 with, with, with all the things that I'm supposed to do, things are going to go well. May I suggest to you, actually, good turns to better, not that way. Good turns to better. It's not smooth. It's not smooth. It happens when darkness comes. The tremendous thing of the resurrection was preceded by Good Friday and darkness. Good does not build up smoothly. It is quantized. That means there's a struggle. And there's a, there's a, there's a demonic spirit that holds the door to your good. You have to defeat him. And he will tell you, if you try to go through that door, you will meet with disaster. And what he will do is, is that the devil will pull on your flesh and cause you to predict and project all kinds of scenarios in the future that are disastrous. And you will not remember the, the good that happened before. You will be in this place of darkness in which you can only predict disaster. You can only d- predict people not being happy with you. You will only predict conflict. You can only predict disappointment and shame. You will predict from the realm of the flesh. You will predict from the realm of your past, your mistakes, your sins, the ways in which you lived in the flesh. The flesh will predict from the flesh. The flesh will predict from its own existence in the flesh. And it will paint Scenarios for the future based upon not what God has done, but what the flesh has done. That's why it forgets the good that happened before. It It forgets the triumphal entry. It forgets Jonathan defeating the the Philistine. It forgets that because the flesh predicts from its own realm. When it predicts from its own realm, it will keep you stuck on negative futures when good does not turn to good to better but turns to bad, to darkness. That is how it works. That is how the flesh works. The flesh works on its own plane. It works based upon actions and and memories that you have from how you acted in the flesh and how things failed before. It can only pull from there. The flesh does not know how to understand things of the Spirit. The flesh when you try to think about miracles, will try to interpret miracles from the point of view of the, of the flesh. It will not know how to interpret things from the point of heaven, from the point of, 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 of God's word. It cannot, it cannot predict things. It does not know how to go into that realm. And so when Jesus said, pray so that you don't enter into temptation, what he was saying is that you've got to stay above the level of the flesh because the flesh succumbs to temptation. If you, do not, if, you not, if you do not pray and rise up above the, the level of the flesh, you will not be able to function in the, with the eyes of faith. You see, you cannot function without the eye, with, with, with the eyes of, of, of light and of brightness, of God's light. And that's what was happening with, with, uh, with uh, the disciples in that period of darkness. And so what, Paul, what Saul was doing was that he was drawing from his own strategy, his fleshly strategy, what was going to happen in the future. And he knew that he had to do something. So he engages in a spiritual thing in the flesh. You see, when you, when you disobey or you do not obey, you move straight into the flesh. The obedience would be for him to actually wait for Samuel, even though Samuel was late. And that is why today in, in, during the worship, it seemed like what God was speaking was this, there's a hump to obedience. Obedience is a hump. Growth does not come smoothly. It comes when you hit that hump. It hit that darkness. When you hit that darkness, you are challenged to obey Him because to obey Him, you have to defeat the devil. 
You have to defeat the flesh. You have to not go by the flesh. Amen? The flesh is your most immediate feeling to things. The flesh is the first thing you feel. It is on the surface. It's immediate. Whether it is flesh, fleshly pride or fleshly unforgiveness or fleshly lusts or it's fleshly um, self-glorification, whether it's fleshly sadness, sorrow, pain, flesh actually is the most immediate feeling that comes to, to us when we face things. The first thing you feel is the flesh because it's on the surface. Amen? The second thing you face if you're praying is the spirit, the delight in the Lord. The delight in the Lord most often does not come first. It comes second. So when the psalmist says, delight yourself in the Lord, he's talking about a delight that happens not on the surface of the flesh, but as you wait upon the Lord. So Saul was supposed to wait. Wait for the second feeling, or wait for the second win. Because the first win is panic, is fear. It wants to be satisfied by itself. We have that. We are constantly facing the desires of the flesh and the delight, delight of the Lord. Have you ever noticed that the desires of the flesh come first? If you can trust the Lord that there is another heart that He has given to you, that He has crucified the power of the, of the flesh, the old man, and He has put within you the life of Christ in you, if you wait upon Him, the life of Christ and the delight in the Lord will come forth. Now, Christianity has lost that. It has lost the teaching on the new covenant. So what Christianity says is, is you wait, wait, wait. The second thing will come. But, you have no, but if you have no idea that the second, the second wind comes because of Christ in you, the new, the new life of Christ in you, you're still trying in the flesh to wait for something better to happen. Sometimes something better comes, but it's nothing like the life of Christ. So when you, when you wait upon the Lord and you delight in the Lord, you mean, it means that you wait for the second one, wait for the true heart that God has put in you to come up. Because if you wait on Him, that heart of God that, that He has put within you, the heart of Christ, will come out. If you wait. Saul did not wait. Saul succumbed. He got sucked. By the flesh. That's why the flesh sucks. Sorry. This is, this is very important because what happens is this. When you allow yourself to stay within the realm of the flesh and say, this doesn't feel good, you are allowing the flesh to dictate what is the, what's your heart. You're going by first heart, first Adam. Go by second heart. The, 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 the heart of the second Adam. Amen? That's really important to see because we, when we are facing these darkness, darknesses, the temptation is to think of the reality of our flesh. Our flesh is, pain, is experiencing pain. Our flesh is experiencing panic. Our flesh is experiencing anxiety and all that. And it doesn't feel good. Yes, it does not feel good. But that's the secondary truth. If you wait upon the Lord, you will renew your strength. You will change your strength. Amen? And so what happened with Saul is this. He actually went with his first heart, so to speak. He went with, his, with the first reaction. The first reaction is actually, it feels right. And Christians talk about being authentic. But what they're talking about is being authentic to the flesh. They're not being authentic to, the, to God. And what God has done is that He's put something more authentic than your immediate feelings and, and senses. He has put something more authentic. In fact, it inauthentic inauthenticates the flesh. So that many Christians are actually saying, I need to be authentic. No, you're actually being authentic to the flesh. Because you don't know that there's a greater reality, that your heart is better than what it's feeling now. Because Christ has died. And because He died, you died with Him. You still feel it. It's the most immediate thing. It's still often the first thing that you will feel. But it's power. It's, it's precedent. It's reigning power over you has been broken. 
And if you wait on Him, it will arrive. Amen? So I knew on the plane that as I looked at myself, feeling all panicky and scared and all that, I knew that if I could just pray through this, the prayer, not me, but the prayer of the Spirit would take me beyond that. And my new heart, the, the heart that's really brave, <laughs> which I could not find at that time, would come out. Amen? That's the new covenant in Christ. Not Christianity in which you have to do all the things, the inspiring things and all the, 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 the Bible things that in your own flesh. No. There is another one living in you. He who is in you is greater than he is in the, in that is in the world. And we live by the one that is greater rather than the one who is weaker. And so what, saw, what, what Samuel says to him, what have you done? And Saul said, because they, I saw that the people were scattered from me, scattering from me, and that you did not come with the appoint, in, in the appointed days, and that the Philistines were assembling at Mishmach. Therefore I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal. See the predictions? The predictions in the flesh. I have not asked the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have acted foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord, which, the command, which he commanded you. For now, okay, for now, at this moment, okay, this moment of darkness, of scattering, he would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. So can you see that actually what Saul was, where Saul was, was on the verge of being established forever. That means the line would not be David's line, it would be Saul's line. God would have, now God would have. History would have been quite different. Saul would have been established. He would, be, he would have been invincible. His kingdom would have been invincible because of that. Yeah? Saul did not realize that he was on the verge of something really great happening. He just needed to wait upon God and not rush out. Last, last uh, place I'd like to uh, turn you to is Isaiah chapter 36. Chapters before that, 30, 31, 32, 33, 34, all talk about disaster coming upon um, Judah, upon Assyria, just disaster. And then suddenly, right, we come to chapter 35 of uh, Isaiah. And it says, from verse 1, The wilderness and the desert will be glad, and the Arabah will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will blossom profusely and rejoice with rejoicing and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. What? It's almost as if it's a sudden turn. Yeah? What? Something, everything good. And they will see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Encourage now, encourage the exhausted, strengthen the feeble. Say to those with anxious heart, take courage. Fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. And the rest of it is just prophecy about how there will be fruitfulness in the desert. But the key, the hinge upon all of it, what it turns is, Take courage. Courage is the word from, from the French word cur, right? Which means heart. Take heart. Take heart. That doesn't mean you're not going to be afraid, but you have heart. So people have courage. Maybe people who are really scared, but they have heart. You know, they, have, they, have, they have heart. And he says, take courage. And what that means is that take heart the heart God has for you. Now if you turn, turn to the New Testament and you look back at the Old Testament, all that gets fulfilled in, a more, in an infinitely greater way by Christ. Because He did not just give us the sentiment of courage from the old nature, but He gave us a new heart. So we reinterpret Old Testament Scripture through the eyes of the cross. So much so that we say, 
I can take the heart that you've given me. And everything depends upon that. A lot of people are waiting for the desert to blossom. They're waiting for revival to come. They're waiting for the kingdom of God to come. They don't understand that the key is you have to be taking heart and not be fearful because God is going to set you up to do something that requires that courage. Maybe just to talk to someone. Just open your mouth, perhaps. Maybe as simple as what Naaman's slave girl said, if only you knew you, you met the prophet that's in Samaria. If only you do that. Just for, her, for some, it's just saying it. Just saying that. Something simple. For some, it is starting something new. For some, it's making a stand against the rest of the world. But what it is, is that it all hangs on you having courage to say, I believe that it's, gonna, that it's not going to be as my flesh predicts. Amen? There are some of us who just need to do that. You're, you're negative about the future because you're, you're, the track in which you're moving, the heart with which you're moving, is the heart of the flesh. But you can delight in the Lord. Stay in His presence. Pray in the Spirit. That's why Jesus says, pray that you will not succumb to temptation. Amen? Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you are here in the present. We thank you, Lord, that we can go back to the present. As we are praying right now, I, I understand that our minds race to the future. We are thinking about what's going to happen after this prayer is finished and after we finish uh, the service. What shall I do when I get out of here? What shall I eat? Who am I going to meet? What's Monday going to be like? And there's a way in which our minds um, habitually race to the future. Everything that we think of in the present, we can't help thinking of this situation in the future. Where is it going? The disciples had that. Saul had that. We can't help thinking and projecting into the future. But God has given us His Spirit that even when we do that, we can bring our minds back to the present. So I just want to invite you to just bring yourself back to this present. Today, now, in this place, it's just you and God. And in this moment, all that you need is here in God. If you think about the future, if you think in terms of how God is going to work, you'll miss it. The presence of God is in the present. I want to invite you to just worship Him, lift up your hearts to Him, just open your hands, and bring your mind back into the present right now where He is. Standing here in the midst of us. Standing in front of you and me. And begin to just let a murmur of praise come to Him. Don't think in terms of what will this do in the future, but just praise Him and just welcome Him. Welcome the abundance of His presence into your now, now moment. In the name of Jesus, we welcome you. Just worship Him. Worship Him. Lift up your heart to Him. There is no other moment except the present. He is here in all His glory. Do not think in terms of whether this is going to help the future or not. Just think of His worthiness. Worship Him from your heart. And let Him expand your heart and give you heart. Thinking about theological things or prophetic things or, uh, or predictive things or other things in the future, 
don't have to worry about that right now. You can think about it later, but right now, you want to be able to apprehend the presence of God. I believe the Lord is saying right now that there are some of us here that feel like the castle's already been torn down so much and that it was made of sand and it was very easily blown away. And the Lord says, don't worry, don't Mm -hmm. worry. I know how to build. Just get on the highway with me. Just set your highway true north. North, whatever you do, you head towards me and every little thing. And Lord, so we do that right now. We just put our heart on you. We don't even think about building or how you're going to build. We don't know what you're going to do. But we just set our hearts on the highway right now. And we ask that you would, Holy Spirit, keep resetting us back in your direction. Amen. I want to invite us to worship him now. Just put our whole heart into him. Don't get distracted by the future. Don't get distracted by where this, where this is going. Just stay in the present. Okay, ready? I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you. Oh, my soul, rejoice. Take joy, my King, in what you hear. Let it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. Sing it again. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. And I lift my voice to worship you, O my soul. Rejoice. Take joy, my King, in what you hear. Let it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. Lord, we welcome you. Oh, just receive him in the present right now. Everything you need is found here. Thank you for being with us. Thank you, Lord. That subsequently there are infinite number of present moments with you, Lord. So we ask you that this week you will help keep us in, in that place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless.